Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are present in our lives. And today, as we open your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would touch our spirits, open our hearts, that we might receive your truth and that we might share it in your love with each other, with our community, with everyone that is in our sphere of influence in this week. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to do something new now that we've never done before here at New Life. As you might have guessed if you're new, I like new things. And actually, I'm, I'm, I think I'm in pretty good company because in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 5, this is what it says. It says, and he who was seated on the throne, that's Jesus, said this, behold, I am making all things new. When Jesus came the first time 2,000 years ago, he made a lot of things new. The world was messed up and he did some things to, to start fixing it. But he says when I come back, that is when he comes to establish his eternal reign, he's going to make everything new. And so every time we do something new here at New Life, all we're doing is sort of just a little glimpse of what it's going to be like every moment when we're in heaven or when we're in that new, new heaven and new earth that God brings through Jesus Christ. So this morning, the new thing we're going to do is back in, um, I guess it was March when we had Easter, we gave you all some questionnaires and we asked you to fill them out and hundreds of you did that and uh, we tallied all of your questions and most common question that was asked concerning who uh, if you had one chance to ask God a question what would it be second most third most and so on and last week we started to answer your questions with the third most common area of questioning which was about marriage and family today what we're going to do is answer your question most often ask question, or I shouldn't say maybe answer, but respond to it from the Word of God. And that's not new because we spent a whole summer doing that a while back. Uh, but what, what is new is that next week, instead of a message, we're going to have a panel of New Life staff people sitting up here. And we have an awesome staff, very creative, very competent staff. And you mostly don't get to see too many of them because a lot of them work what we call behind the scenes, not here on stage on Sunday, Saturday night or Sunday morning. But they're going to be up here responding to your questions directly. It's going to be sort of like an in-house ask the pastor next weekend. It's not going to be a message like this where I get to talk and you have to listen. But, or you don't have to listen. You could just sit there and sleep. But, but, I mean, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be you get to ask questions and then the staff will be responding. And I'll be one of the panel, but I'm going to try. I'm going to sit on my mouth next week. Try to, you know, not, I'm going to try to let other people. You know, try to let other people speak instead of me. So it's going to be, that's what's going to be different. Week one, a message. Week two, uh, a panel. Week three, I'm going to have another message to your second most frequently asked question. And then week four, another panel. And so you'll get to meet many of the staff that you may not have met and get to hear some of their responses from a biblical standpoint to your questions. Now, the questions will mostly center around the most commonly asked question which is, you're going to find out what it is here in a moment. But Pastor Brad is going to be the MC for the panel. So he's going to be the one that's sort of filtering the questions, and it's up to him. This whole idea, this whole You Asked For It series was his idea. I think it's an awesome idea. Um, but once again, uh, the, the, we have a very good staff, and so it's not just, uh, it's just not one or two or three of us, but there's a whole bunch of folks that help to um, bring all of us more into uh, this local body of Jesus Christ known as New Life Christian Ministries into our maximum capacity to reach others and, uh, uh, and share the new life of Jesus Christ with the world one person at a time. So here's the question. 
most frequently asked question. I was a little surprised, but not as surprised that this is what it was. If you could ask God one question, here's what it is. Why am I here? The most commonly asked question among all of you was, why am I here? Now, I don't think it's a surprise that that's the most commonly asked question because we live in a world where everybody has an answer for everything, right? In fact, I Googled, why am I here? And in two-thirds of a second, I got 300 million answers to that question. 300 million answers. I'm not going to read them all to you. But, but um, you know, in fact, I read recently that one Google search takes more computer power than was uh, necessary for all of the Apollo missions combined. One Google search. That's an interesting little fact, okay? You can share that at lunch with somebody today. But anyway, I think that we don't want 300 million answers to the question. We want a definitive answer to the question. We want to know why are we here. And there have only been three perspectives presented on why we're here in all of human history. Since we started asking that question, why am I here? The atheists and agnostics have said, there's no answer. There's nobody who can tell us. We don't know. doesn't matter. Let's not even think about it. Just forget it. So that's sort of a hopeless response. It's not the only one. The, the second type of response is the response from religion and philosophy. The religionists and philosophers have said, you want to know why you're here? Well, let me tell you what I think. In other words, I have a guest. Do you want to hear my guess? And we live in a world in the 21st century in America that says well, everybody's guess is equally valid. Everybody's guess should be accepted as, as equally as good as everybody else's guest. Well, you know, what I say is if everybody has a guess and it's all equally as good as everybody else, maybe it's just equally as bad as everybody else, right? I mean, if you have a guess and I have a guess and our guesses are 180 degrees opposite, they can't be equally good, so, but they could be equally bad. So how about this? The, th- the final way, the final perspective from which to answer the question why I'm here is to go to the one who created us, God, and let him tell us. Since he created us, I mean, the thing that creates something generally knows why it was created. Uh, many years ago, I went, I went out to California for a seminar, and we were at Chuck Smith's church. Um, it's a Calvary Chapel. That's a pretty big thing if anybody knows about Calvary Chapel, but Chuck Smith got it started way back, you know, when. And this guy was up there singing a song that we were currently singing uh, in our worship services in the church that I served at the time, but the guy was singing it wrong. I mean, he wasn't singing it like we were singing it. So I waited until after the worship gathering, and I was going to go up and tell him, hey, you know, that sounded pretty good, but you know, might want to think about singing it like this. And, and so as I was standing there waiting, somebody, I said to somebody, I said, do you know who that guy is? They said, that's Billy Batson. I said, Billy Batson, who's that? And he goes, well, he's the guy that wrote that song that he sang. <laughs> huh. So maybe he sang it right and we sang it wrong. Do you see what I'm saying? The creator of something usually knows how it works. So anyway, just let me summarize. In all of human history, there's only been three ways, three ways that we have found to answer the question, why am I here? The the first way is the way that says there's no answer. I don't care about the answer. That's the way of atheism and agnosticism. The second one is I have a guess, the way of religion and philosophy. And the third way is let me tell you. God. And you might be thinking, wait a minute, isn't that a religious answer? No, it isn't. Because as we've been saying here for the last six weeks during our Reason for God series, and really for the last 15 years, our following Jesus Christ, the God who created uh, you know, the universe, uh, it isn't a religion. It's a relationship. He created everything, and then we messed it up, and then he decided not to break the relationship, but to restore it. And so it isn't a religion. And what we're going to do today is we're going to turn to the Bible, to the word that he gave us about why we're here 
and why we exist and what the point of all of this is. And we're going to look at it from his perspective. Then as we do that today, uh, the first thing I'd like to do is give you our take-home point. And the take-home point, for those of you who are new, is the one point that we want you to remember when you leave here. And hopefully you'll pray about it, you'll think about it, and live it out in the power of the Holy Spirit in the week ahead. And here it is. God created us in His image to glorify Him by enjoying Him forever. God created us in His image to glorify Him by enjoying Him forever. Now, I didn't make up that answer. Uh, In fact, back in 1646 and 1647, a group of Protestant Christians, in other words, they had broken away from the, the, what we call the Roman Catholic Church now, they had started, uh, they had written a confession of faith called the Westminster Confession of Faith, and and it was supposed to describe from the Word of God why we're here, what we're supposed to do with our lives, and then they developed what they called a catechism, a series of questions and answers so that you didn't have to know the whole confession, you could just know the major points, and the very first question in the catechism was this, what is the chief end of man? In other words, why are we here? And their answer was to glorify God and enjoy him forever. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's not quite our take-home point. It's a little less than the take-home point. But what I realized is uh, a number of decades ago, a, a modern pastor and theologian, John Piper, he modified the Westminster Confession of Faith's answer to the question by saying to glorify God by enjoying him forever. He, he didn't think that we necessarily knew what it would mean to glorify God and enjoy Him forever because a lot of Christians in, in the current world, you know, they've moved to this legalism where we think it's just a bunch of rules that we follow um, in order to be Christians. It's sort of a religion. And, and then on the other end are those who said, Jesus saved me. He died on the cross to save me from my sins. I like to sin. He likes to forgive sin. So I'm just going to do whatever I want. And so you have this extreme licentiousness we could call or, or you know freedom anarchy is what it really amounts to on the other extreme and what John Piper said is let's modify that old old statement to say glorifying God we glorify God by enjoying him forever in other words in our daily lives by being what he created us to be whether it might be a carpenter a school teacher you know a, a stay-at-home mom it might be an accountant whatever it is that we are we we show God glory by enjoying what we do doing it the best we can possibly do it and and as we do those things we're enjoying we're enjoying our life I mean when we do what we do better than anybody else does it that's and we enjoy that I mean it's fun and when we do that it brings glory to God if we're believing that we were created in the image of God. And that's why I added in our take-home point today all of those parts. To, first of all, we glorify God, you know, because we're made in His image, and then we glorify Him by enjoying Him forever. So we're going to look at three passages of Scripture today that are going to talk a bit, each one, about how we reflect the image of God in our lives, about how we enjoy Him and, and, and in doing that, bring glory to him. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app and you'd like to follow along, the first passage of Scripture is going to be Genesis chapter 1, first book of the Bible, first chapter of the Bible, chapter twenty or verse 26 through 28. And if you were here last week, you're going to say, wait, that's the one we used last week when we talk about families. Yes, it is. But it's a really good, it's a really good passage to tell us who we are and why we exist. So let's listen to God's Word. It says this, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like ourselves. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them. 
and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So, what we did last week as we were answering that question of, about marriage and family is we took a lot of time to say that somehow we reflect the image of God as male and female, that God created us as male and female. He intends for us to come together to be start families and we'll have children and they'll grow up with male and a female. We'll come together, be families, and that's how we would populate the earth. That's how we would eventually rule over the earth with him. I don't want to emphasize that today. We already did that. What I want to emphasize today is, number one, that somehow human beings reflect the image of God. Somehow, in our existence, we reflect the image of God. And we said last week, at least, if reflecting the image of God means that we're creative, it means that we're relational, as God is, and it means that we're intelligent, we're reasoning, rational beings. In fact, uh, if you went out in the woods this morning, you would not find a group of chipmunks having church. If you went out in the woods today, you would not see a herd of deer having church. Deer and chipmunks don't reflect on who they are and why they exist. Human beings do because we're rational, thinking, thoughtful beings. It's what it means to be created in the image of God. In fact, you can look all over the animal kingdom and you will never find a group of animals reflecting on why they're here. But we do. In fact, from our early age, we start to ask questions like, why am I here? You know, what's the point? Where am I going? We, we ask these questions, and that's how, partly how we reflect the image of God. But the thing is, in our everyday lives, so many of us don't. Even if we're Christians, even if we have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, many of us act like in our daily lives that we're atheists or agnostics, or we act like we're philosophers. We, we think we have to make a guess why we're here, or we don't think it matters that we're here. And I can, I can prove it, I think, simply by asking you a simple question. When you woke up this morning, did you say, God, I thank you that I'm here. I thank you that I reflect your image. I thank you that I can think. I thank you that I can reason. I thank you that I can be creative. Did you ask God or, or say any of those things to God this morning? Most likely when you woke up this morning, you went, huh, what day is it? You know, and maybe if you're past that and you know it's Sunday, uh, am I going to church? Am I not going to church? You know, when I said those decisions, yes or no, you have these yes or no things. But you weren't thinking in terms of the fact that you You and me, we reflect the image of the living God of the universe, and we have the capacity to create. We have the capacity to think. We have the capacity to be in relationship. And the reality is most of us go through the motions most of the time. We just sort of go through the motions, and we wake up, and we go, oh, yeah, I'm in relationships. But, yeah, it's a lot of work. It's really a lot of work to have a good marriage, a good family. It's really a lot of work to have a good church. I don't know if I want to do that. And we say, think, oh, my goodness. I mean, how much energy is it going to take if I think today? Probably a lot less energy than if you don't think today. But, but the bottom line is we, we don't do the things we were created to do. And, and, I, and I know why and you know why. Because Genesis 1 is the ideal picture. As we said last week, God has a grand plan for woman and man. And, and we know that what, it, what it is. But we also know that Genesis 1 isn't the way it is. Because in Genesis chapter 3, if you read a couple chapters ahead, Adam and Eve, the first two people, decided that they didn't want to reflect the image of God. They wanted to be God. And when they did that, it brought what we call sin into the world. And everything, the the image of God was smudged. and, And some would say it was almost obliterated. And so since that time, we have struggled to believe. That's why there are atheists and agnostics. The, the, the image of God is so tarnished that we struggle to believe that we're really, you know, that we really are reflecting this amazing person, being 
that created us in everything that exists. And King David of Israel, who is the greatest king, considered to be the greatest king in the history of Israel, he pondered this reality that there's a God who created everything. In fact, we're going to read Psalm 8 if you want to be turning there while I'm, I'm talking. Psalm 8 is a creation psalm where David looked out around and saw the stars and the moon and all that. And, and he was like, wow. This is incredible. And then he asked a question that we're asking today. What, what are we? Why are we here? Why does God care about us? You see, David knew that we weren't all that. And he wondered why this God who created such amazing stuff gave us such an important place in it. And what we're going to do, we're going to read Psalm 8, and it's a poem. And as we read it, what we're going to see is uh, actually, I'm going to read it in the, uh, the, the first person, which means I'm going to say we and our instead of the third person, which is what you'll see it up on the screen or in your Bible. David talked in the third person about us as them or they. But I'm going to read it as if we are the one, you know, because we are, the one about whom David wrote. And, and so it says this. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are people that, or what are we that you should think about us? Mere mortals that you should care for us. Yet you made us only a little lower than God and crowned us with glory and honor. You gave us charge of everything you made, putting all things under our authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. You see, David got it. He said, God, you're so big. You're so incredible. You're so amazing. And we're so little and not amazing. And yet, look what it says. It says, we're only a little lower than God. He crowned us with glory and honor. David couldn't understand how in the world did this God of the universe look at us and say, you're, you're a reflection of me. You are like me, and I love you, and I'm going to do anything I have to do that's good and true and right to bring you into relationship with me. And David said, I don't understand. You see, because the first two human beings, Adam and Eve, as we've already said, they didn't think being a little lower than God was high enough. They didn't want to be a little lower than God. They wanted to be God or maybe even better than God. And so they turned away from God and they brought sin into the world. And so David could look around and, and I love it how he said, he says, God, you put the moon and the stars into place with your fingers. I mean, I know it's just a metaphor, but I mean, think about God. You know, he's putting a little star here, a little star there. And when I say little star, all those little stars are bigger than our sun. And it boggles my mind when I start thinking about the universe because all these stars are light years away. And a light year is like, what, hundreds of trillions of miles away. And, 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 and God's little fingers are going, oh, let's put that star there. Let's put that star there. Hmm, I don't like that one. I'll move it over here. You see, this is how big God is. And yet he says, you all are like me. And I want to be in relationship with you. And I want you to be in relationship with each other in the same kind of relationship that I'm in relationship with you. And what we do because of sin, and I know we do it, as soon as you come into a room like this, you look around. And what you start to say is, well, that one's prettier than me. Oh, that one's not as pretty as me. Oh, that one looks 
stronger than me. That one's not, you know, I don't know if that one's as smart as me. And, and so we have this line, and so what we do is we say, oh, those people are better than me. These people aren't as good as me. And we really like to look that way because we like to feel good about ourselves. And what happens when we compare ourselves to each other is some of us, some of us, you know, we, we think when we put them on this side, we go, oh, I'm better than them. So we feel proud. We look up there and go, oh, I'm worthless. That's what comparison does. It's a tool of the devil. The devil's tool is to get us to think about other people, not as our brothers and sisters, because if we're created in the image of God and we're God's children, then that means all of us are brothers and sisters, or potential brothers and sisters. But we don't look at each other like that because of sin. And atheists don't, really don't look at things like that because they just say there's no God because we want to be in charge, and so that's a really good way to be in charge by saying there isn't any God. Uh, all this stuff is here, but we don't know well, how it's here or why it's here. But, but we're here, and, and we're in charge. And so as we go about our lives, we really only have two choices. We could say, yes, God, we believe that we're created in your image. Yes, God, we believe that we are creative beings, that we are relational beings, that we are rational beings. And yes, God, we're going to live into that with everything we have. And then here's the thing. Sometimes, we, even, even when we say yes, we can't. And so the last passage of Scripture we're going to look at this morning comes to us from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul writes these words. He says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. You see what the Apostle Paul knew? Same thing Jesus told us. Jesus said we have to be born again. We're sinners. That's what we are. We're born that way. Nothing we can do about it. All of us are sinners. We're born into this corrupt, fallen, broken world, and the image of God is tarnished in every one of us. And so Jesus said we have to be born again. And what Paul said is we have to have this new creature being in us. We're new creatures. We're not the old self that we used to be. We're this new person. Jesus said we're born again spiritually, so we're a new person. We're, we're different we're, we're like we were supposed to be when God created everything, like Adam and Eve were before sin came into the world. We're restored. And so Jesus, the Son of the living God, came here to live a perfect life, a human being who is also God, perfect life, only perfect life ever lived. Then he died on the cross, paid the penalty for sin that we owed. He rose from the dead, went back to heaven, sent his Holy Spirit into every believer so that we could reflect the image of God. And he's coming back. That's what, that's what the Bible tells us. That's what Paul wrote. That's what Jesus told us. He's coming back, and he said he's going to make everything new. Some of this stuff is new, but here's what happens. We get this new life, and as we get this new life, the devil whispers into our ear, uh-uh, you're not new. You're not different. And sometimes he doesn't whisper. He shouts. He says, look how you were. That's, how, that's still who you are. You're no different. You think you're different. It's, a, it's an illusion. It's a myth. It's a lie. But the devil's the liar. He's the one who lies. And so we can say yes to God, to this new image that he has given us. And when we do, here's what he says next. Paul says, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. So when we were created, we were created in the image of God. And that image was tarnished or lost or fallen, whatever words you want to say. And then God said, no, I'm not letting that happen. I should say God said, yes, I'm going to do something about this. And so he gave us a new life in Jesus Christ. And when we get that new life in Jesus Christ, it's a gift. 
You see, we can't work for it. We can't earn it. We can't do anything that's going to impress God because God is so impressed with us just because we're his children that he lived and died and rose again in the man Jesus Christ so that we can have the image restored. Who are we? We are children of the living God. Who are we? We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And so here we have a gift and all we have to do is receive it, but we dare not waste it. And it's interesting because what Paul said is that he no longer counts people's sins against us. So here's what happens sometimes. We say, God's not counting my sins against me. He let Jesus bear the penalty for my sins, so I'll just go and live whatever kind of life I want to. I'll sin all I want because Jesus is going to forgive me. No, 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 no. In fact, Paul says in Romans, how can we do that? How can we who died to sin, which is when Jesus died on the cross, he nailed our sins to the cross, how can we who died to sin continue to live in it? And then Paul says, here's, here's your job description. Here's my job. Here's our job description. He says, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. So all of us are different, but all of us, when Jesus Christ becomes our Savior and Lord, when we're born again, when we're new creation in Jesus Christ, we get a new job description, ambassador. Ambassador of what? An ambassador, what's an ambassador do? An ambassador represents one nation to another, right? I could be the ambassador of the United States to any other country. They could make me the ambassador to Cuba. Okay, I don't know if we have one, but we probably will pretty soon if we don't. Okay, let me, Spain. I know we have one to Spain. Okay. I could be the ambassador to Spain. I represent the United States to Spain. And when, when people in Spain say bad stuff about the United States, I say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You don't know our country. I know our country. I represent our country, right? So here's what happens. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ in the world, and it says God is making his appeal to the world through us. And so once we're born again, once we're these new people in our image, the image of God is restored back into us, and we're supposed to glorify God by enjoying him forever in whatever it is that we do. When we do that, it represents the goodness and the truth of God to the world. Now, I want you to know that as we look around the world these days, there's a lot of ambassador work to do. In fact, I just read a, recent, a book recently called Counterculture by David Platt. It's a, a book will mess you up because he talks about all the stuff that's going on in the world that shouldn't be going on in the world. And for example, I didn't know this, worldwide, 42 million, 42 million babies are aborted every year in the world. Every year, every day, I should say, in the world right now, there are more slaves in existence than there were ever, ever in the history of the world. There are more slaves on the planet right now. Human beings enslaved to other human beings on the planet than there ever have been in the history of the world. We all have seen the results of the sexual revolution in this country that started in the 60s and has continued. You know, that, 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 that God's design for us as male and female, it's all messed up. And we could go on and on and on and on. And the thing is, the atheist says, well, there is no such thing as evil. And, and the atheist has to say that, right? Because evil is not something. Evil is the absence of good. Just like darkness is not something, darkness is the absence of light. And, and cold is not something, it's the absence of heat. Evil is the absence of good. If there's no God, there's no good. If there's no good, there's no evil. And so the atheists or the agnostic, they don't have any frame of reference for saying whether slavery is good or bad, abortion is good or bad, or anything's good or bad. But what about the philosopher? Well, the philosopher argues and debates. The philosopher says, well, you know, there are times when abortion probably could be a good thing because that child's going to come into a world where there's not going to be enough resources, and so they're probably going to starve to death when they're 10. Probably better not to come into the world. 
You see, that's a philosopher can debate that. But we're ambassadors for Jesus Christ in the world. We are making God's appeal to the world. He's making his appeal through us. And, and, and what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to say, come back to God. Now, here's the thing. In our daily lives, in our daily lives, many of us are just going through the motions. Many of us are believing what the world has said, that we're not creative beings. We're not rational beings. We're, we're, not, you know, we're not relational beings. I'm, I'm going to take care of myself and you take care of yourself. None of that's who we are. If we are created in the image of the living God, who is a relational, creative, rational being, then all of the things that God is, we are. That's, that's why we are here. We are here to do his work in the world today and tomorrow and until he comes back. Because when he comes back, he's going to make it all new. But in the meantime, we can make a little bit new here and a little bit new there and a little bit in the next place. And so here's the commitment for this week. As we go out this week, our commitment is, I will glorify God by enjoying his presence in my life this week. I will glorify God by enjoying his presence in my life this week. So can you imagine what that's going to look like? You're going to wake up tomorrow. You're going to go to school. You're going to go to work. You're going to stay home. You're going to whatever it is you're going to do tomorrow. Whenever you see something evil, you're going to know it's evil because it's not going to reflect the image of God. And, and instead of saying, well, you know, I'm only one person. What can I do? You're going to say, I'm an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And, and so in your life, you're going to glorify God by enjoying him forever. And here's the thing I want you to understand. It's very, very important. That doesn't mean that all of you are going to turn in whatever you are, whatever your job description is today and, and, and resign and you're all going to become missionaries. What it means is if you're an electrician, you're going to go out and whenever you wire an outlet, you're going to wire that outlet as good as anybody ever wired an outlet. It, it means that whenever you're, uh, whenever you're putting a you know, a panel box in, you're gonna, well, that baby's going to be as functional as anyone ever, and probably, you know, all the little wires are going to be all neat and ni nice and tidy and all that. If you're a school teacher, you're going to remember that the children that are in front of you, they are a gift from God to you, your responsibility, and, and you have the opportunity to help shape and mold their lives. If you're a pastor, you might have to go way by yourself for a week every year. So you can hear from God, even though it won't be fun for you if you're an extrovert like me. But there are all these things that it means to reflect the image of God and to enjoy God, you know, to, to glorify God by enjoying him forever. And, and every one of us in this room, here's the thing. This is how I want to close out today because we're going to pray in a minute. I want you to understand something. I said at the beginning of, of our time together that there are a thousand of us. Do you realize Jesus had 12? Jesus had 12. There are a thousand of us. We live in a community of 2,000-something people. It's ridiculous. You know, okay, and you might say, well, Chris, I thought the average attendance was only 780. Okay, it is, but the, the, all of us don't come every week. In fact, if all of us came every week, we would have five or six services, right? But here's the thing. The thing is, there are a 1,000 of us ambassadors for Jesus Christ in the world. God is making his appeal through us through the way that we take care of numbers if we're an accountant, the way that we serve people with our food if we're a server in a restaurant, the way that we care for our children at home if we're staying home with our children and bringing them up in the ways of the Lord, the way that whatever it is we are, when we do that in this community, we should be like a little pebble that's dropped in the ocean. A little pebble not dropped in the ocean doesn't seem like it does that much, but it has a ripple that goes out, and we're not a little pebble anymore. We're a big rock. 
And we serve the rock, Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask us, if, if Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord in your life right now, that means you're an ambassador for Jesus Christ. If you're an ambassador for Jesus Christ right now, and you can stand up, I'm going to ask you to stand up because I want to pray with you. Not for you, with you, because I need the prayers too. If you can't stand up and you're an ambassador of Jesus Christ, just raise your hand. Because I want us to remember something. We are not standing, you know, in the world witnessing to Jesus Christ. We're standing in Jesus Christ, witnessing to the world. Whatever it is that we do, whatever it is that we do, we represent the living God of the universe. We reflect his image. So let's pray together. Almighty God, I thank you so much. First, I just thank you so much that you love us. I don't know why you do. I thank you that you created us. I don't know why you did. I thank you that we reflect your image, that we, men, women, children, that we are loving beings. We can be loving beings because of you. We are thoughtful beings. We can, we can think and reflect because that's who, how you are. We, we can create things that will amaze people because you are an amazing creator. God, I pray right now that you would pour your spirit into us. I pray that as we right now, standing here, sitting here, as we, your church, your family, your body, that, that we will receive your spirit, the power of your Holy Spirit, so that when we are doubting your presence, that we will feel your presence, know your presence, and, and that when we think that it's okay to just go through the motions, that we will be empowered to live, and, and we won't just be potential energy, but we'll be kinetic energy, active energy, of your spirit in the world. God, we know there are lost people out er everywhere, in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, and we pray that you'll show us them and, and that you'll let us be loving and truthful. God, I pray today that as we go out of this place, we will be light and that we'll dispel the darkness, that the fire of the Holy Spirit will dispel the cold, and that your good in us, not our good, but your good in us, will overcome the evil. God, we know when you come, you're going to make all things new. But what we pray right now is that each of us, that newness will be flowing out of us with humility and boldness at the same time. Not arrogance, boldness and humility. God, we thank you so much. We thank you so much that you consider us a little lower than yourself. Crown us with glory and honor. And so, God, our prayer today is that we will glorify you by enjoying you in whatever it is that we are called to be and do in our day-to-day -day lives. God, we're your ambassadors. We freely yield ourselves to that service. In Jesus' name.